Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our series of podcasts focusing on primary care networks. Primary care networks are not meant to be just networks of GP practices, they're meant to be a network that can co-produce the services across a neighbourhood that includes everybody. The reality is, for most practices, whether they're in primary care networks, we've still got our same patient groups. We create spaces that are comfortable for white, educated, professional people. And we talk in a language that speaks to that demographic. I'm Will Owen, a GP trainee and clinical fellow at NHS England and NHS Improvement. For the last few months, it's been a pleasure to interview a range of people working in and around PCN's primary care networks to get their perspectives on the benefits, challenges and opportunities that working in a network can bring. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Olivia Butterworth. Olivia, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself? Hi, Will. Yeah, and thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. It's something I'm really passionate about. My job is I'm Head of Public Participation at NHS England and NHS Improvement. I'm working to find ways in which we can work differently with people and communities, not patients and the public, but people and communities around how we co-design, co-produce and and work together on how we improve health and care. Mm. So trying to move us on from a consultative or representative based model of engagement into a partnership approach where we're really working with people as partners about what matters to them mm. and how we can do that collaboratively. And could you tell us a bit about how you got into that in the first place? Because it seems like quite a wide-ranging role, I suppose. My personal background is I started as a youth worker very many years ago. I was a youth worker. I ended up working with some young women and some young women that got pregnant, 13 years, 14 years, 15 years old, who didn't want to access their health services, did not feel comfortable accessing or going to see their midwife in the clinic. So we worked together, we talked about what they wanted, and I asked the midwives if they would come into the youth club. So we ended up with a group that met in the youth club and they got their antenatal care in a setting that they felt comfortable in. Mm. That's a long time ago now and I've done a lot of things since then, but that for me is how do we take services to people in spaces that they feel comfortable in, in spaces where they're prepared to be honest and Mm. open, and not hide things, and in spaces where we can have an equal conversation with them instead of doing to them. Mm. So instead of writing them a prescription and saying, you know, you must do this and take this tablet, actually starting a different conversation. And involvement of people in communities is just the same. We often provide services that people don't actually want and they don't benefit from. Mm. We do that because we don't really know what they need because we don't ask them. We might have the data, we might be able to understand the clinical data and all that stuff, but if it doesn't matter to that person, they're not going to engage with it. Mm. I imagine that the way that we engage with communities has changed quite a bit over the last few years since you've been involved in NHS England. Can you talk us through what that change has been like for you and where you think we are now in this journey towards more meaningful engagement and participation? I think one of the biggest changes has really been in language. So we've started to talk about co-production, partnership working, but I'm not sure we've actually changed what we're doing. So often we talk about co-production where we've met with a group of people and we've asked them what they think about something we've already designed and we say well we co-produced it with people because these people came to this event Mm. that's not co-production because co-production is starting with what matters to us what is it we want to do together and how will we do it together it's not providing the solution and asking people what they think Mm. so i think we've changed the language 
I think we're becoming more aware of the need to use sort of the experience data and the evidence along with the stories and people's real lived experience. But I think we're still quite stuck in a, we need a representative. So we need a representative on our programme board. We need a patient on our group, but we don't really think about why. So if we think about primary care, we've had things called PPGs, patient participation groups, in most general practices for a very long time. Mm. What's the purpose of them? Well, I was going to say that primary care, I think, generally would pride itself on being really good at this. You know, it's one of the things that general practice sort of feels very close to its local population. It's one of the reasons that GPs were involved in commissioning services in the first place. But you're right, certainly that description of PPGs, they do often feel quite... It's often the same, similar faces, isn't it, in... In, yeah. in, in representative groups. Because we create spaces that are comfortable for white, educated, professional people. And we talk in a language that speaks to that demographic. Mm. Those spaces and meetings, in inverted commas, young people are not necessarily going to want to go to a PPG meeting and sit and talk about stuff with papers and minutes. Young people want to have a bit of fun. They might want to use spoken word. They might want to use the creative arts. They might want to have conversations in the round about other things that are going on in their lives. So we have to think about the sorts of spaces that we're creating to have those conversations. Similarly, people who don't ever get through the practice door, people who are homeless or gypsies and travellers who often find that they can't register at a GP practice, mm because there's barriers to them registering. We need to be finding the spaces to work and have conversations with them in spaces that they're comfortable with and speak in a way that everybody understands. Mm. So the NHS is full of acronyms and jargon and quite complicated language. We need to talk about stuff in the same way you talk about it with your family at home. If you can have that conversation with your son or your daughter Mm. or your parents you're more likely to be able to have a conversation that means something that everybody understands because we exclude people with the complexity of the language that we use. We need to start by talking to people about what matters to them. And I would say there are huge similarities between good involvement to people and shared decision-making. The same principles around shared decision-making were applied to how we involve people in communities. Mm. Then we'd be having a very different conversation. A lot has been spoken and written about primary care networks in this capacity as maybe being an opportunity to do this in a slightly different way, in a more meaningful way. The reality is, for most practices, whether they're in PCNs, we've still got our same PPGs, our same patient groups. So how have you seen people really making steps to change that status quo and do things in a more meaningful way? I think PCNs, I know there's an awful lot of work to do in general practices. A lot of people are feeling like they're on their knees. But working as a network, if you think about what a network really is, it's more than the sum of the parts. And primary care networks are not meant to be just networks of GP practices. They're meant to be a network that can co-produce the services across a neighbourhood that includes everybody in relation to health and well-being. The opportunity to connect out to your faith leaders. I live near Keithley in West Yorkshire. It's a really multicultural community. Mosques have a huge attendance and faith leaders from mosques and, and the Islamic community 
really happy to engage and have conversations and help people connect with men in particular who don't normally go to the doctors. PCNs have a really great opportunity to tap into these community-based networks where people are already going. Mm. So sports clubs and faith groups and youth clubs and schools. These places exist in every community, but they're often not connected in meaningful ways to primary care. So how can we help primary care to have a different conversation? Mm. A lot of this stuff's already happening, but we're not connected to it and we're not hearing it or, or, or listening to it. Mm. We put time into organising and facilitating our own PPG mm that we often control and has a chair and is quite formal. And actually that PPG could be a network in its own right. So it could be a network of all of those community leaders. Mm. So if you live in a local area, local councillors know everything that's going on on their patch, know everything, they know everybody, but we don't go near them. Mm. Why not? They know where all the groups are, they know where people are. Faith leaders I've already mentioned, in the village I live in, some of our local faith leaders got together along with some other community leaders, they've noticed that quite a lot of the men in their congregations are suffering low-level mental health issues. They're suffering from isolation. They've got nowhere near their GP. So this group of community leaders have come together. They've started a Men in Sheds project. They've got a men's walking group going. They're walking around and knocking on people's doors. And it's making a real difference. And they're also encouraging those men to access their GP for more routine healthcare. And that's where we need to build those relationships. Mm. Working with the community in that way will save GPs time, save practices time, because you're really tapping into stuff that's already happening mm. without having to reinvent it. Looking at the PPGs as they exist currently, is there still some role for those collections of individual citizens and patients around those groups? And if so, how can we be thinking about a more representative group there? Although I know you've already said you don't like the term representative. So help me with my language here. How can we think differently about those groups and, and who we get to those to help us co-produce our local solutions? So I think there's absolutely a role for something like a patient participation group, but it doesn't have to be called that because actually that can be a barrier in its own right. It can be called something that's appropriate locally. Mm -hmm. So where I live, ours is likely to end up being called Healthy Howarth. It's a group of people who are coming together because they want to do some stuff. The issue I have with the word representative is you will not get a representative group of patients into a room for a PPG meeting. It will not happen. We all know that, mm. but we still refer to them as patient representatives. They're not representing anybody except themselves, and it's not fair to ask them to represent anybody except themselves and their own lived experience. What we could talk about is more diversity in our groups. Do the groups have to meet as a single group, or can they be a network of groups? Mm that already exist. So mm. we don't have to convene them. We don't have to organise them. This might sound a little bit crass as an analogy, but it's much better to go to somebody else's party. This isn't just about general practice. It's the NHS more widely. Get people who work in the NHS to join other people's parties. Mm. Most neighbourhoods, local authorities organise neighbourhood forums. Trying to get colleagues from the NHS to go to their neighbourhood forum it's almost impossible, mm. but it's a forum of active people. Mm. Whether they're the people you want to talk to or not shouldn't matter. Mm. They're there, they're active, and they will be the connectors to other people in their community 
who don't go to groups and meetings. Mm. There's something about finding the connectors who connect to others and can carry messages and bring messages back and working in a much more organic way. We want to really revitalise PPGs, but give them permission to do things differently. Mm. They could be much more fun. It's okay to have fun. <laughs> fun is a good thing. Fun makes us laugh. It makes us happy. It's good for our well-being. Official messaging from NHS Official England. messaging from <laughs> NHS England. But fun also means we're more likely to connect again. Yeah. We're more likely to go back and go, do you know, what? I had a really great time. It's a really good conversation. Mm. I'm, I'm going to do that again. Mm. But we almost seem to have sucked the fun out of doing anything. If it's, if it's fun, it can't be serious and be achieving anything. You talked before about moving from consultation to co-design, co-production. What does that mean in reality for those network directors who are listening or for perhaps managers who have a an active PPG or not, and they're obviously already thinking now about broadening it. But what does it mean to interact with that group differently? I think one of the things we do is we put all patients into one group of being patients. And I think for PCNs, I mean, they're really new and they're they're working out how to work with one another. Mm. And it is about building relationships and building trust. And and that has to take some time. Otherwise, it won't be a trusted relationship. Mm. It'll just be another superficial transactional thing where... We're doing the do, but we're not really changing how we work. My advice to PCNs would be to start small and, and achievable and utilise population health management as a tool to identify cohorts of patients who you then might be able to have a different conversation with. An example I'll give, and I'm really keen that we find some PCNs that might want to try this, is we know that learning disability health checks, annual health checks for people with learning disabilities, they are every person with a learning disability is entitled to one only around 50% of people actually get one Mm. and we know that of those 50% most of the feedback then says it was a tick box and nothing changed and nothing was different as a result Mm. we could do something differently how about reaching out as PCN to your local self-advocacy group that will be run by and with people with learning disabilities who are trained as self-advocates who are well connected to lots of other people with learning disabilities and family carers to say, okay, how could we do this differently? What would a good annual health check look like for you? Mm. And could we design that together? Mm. And you could co-produce the easy read resources that you might want so that you can communicate better. Or actually, they might already have a load of those resources that you can pull in. I think there's something about starting small and being quite focused on what's the purpose. Mm. So the purpose in that is... We know that people with learning disabilities have poorer life expectancy and face great health inequalities. Mm. How do we focus in on them as a particular group to think about what could we do differently? Mm. And through that, you'll build all sorts of other relationships. One of the places we fall down, PPGs try and see the whole. You can't see the whole because there's so many different groups of people who have so many different experiences and health conditions and life circumstances Mm. that it's okay to say, actually, we're going to do this with this group of people. And then you build your engagement that way rather than trying to do everything through a single group. I'm really struck listening to you how actually meaningful engagement is central, not just to effective population health management then and more proactive care, but also linking with our local community resources to establish effective social prescribing. It's central to both of those. Yeah. If you're engaging really well, you'll also be building the, and supporting the community infrastructure mm. that your social prescriber or your link worker will then be signposting people to. Mm. 
And it's those groups that they're signposting to that almost could form your networked PPG. Mm. They're not different things, they're all interlinked. GPs can learn a lot from working with and alongside people who live that health condition or that they live their life managing multiple different challenges. Mm. Actually, how do we get alongside those people to really think about are the interventions I'm able to offer effective? Mm. Am I taking the right approach or is there a different way of doing this? Mm. And exploring that together. Have you come across any examples that really stand out or any sort of learning that you've seen in the last couple of months that you think everyone should know about now? Royds Community Association on the edge of Bradford. It's been around a long time. I don't know how many years ago now, but quite a few years ago, they had a new build community centre and their GP practice moved into the community centre. Mm. Royds Community Association are at the heart of their PCM. So they are a part of it, they're working with all the practices in the network and they're really joining up and they have a history of doing this. So they have multidisciplinary teams who are connected into the community organisation, but that's taken quite a few years. Mm. Uh, That's really what we should be aspiring to. I point to the amazing Chad Hockey, who's doing some work in northwest London in White City and along with a number of other partners. He works in a very deprived community and is part of a network of GPs called Docs. Mm. so really looking at how you provide primary care into very deprived communities. And he's been doing a whole load of work with the QSAR programme and getting community leaders trained up alongside health professionals. So they're building this network of community champions and community voices who aren't just members of the community over there, their community voices coming from all professions and all parts of that community. And they're identifying where their improvements need to be made and how they can do that together. We have to mention Mark Spencer of Healthier Fleetwood. Mark works in a very different way with his patients and he absolutely starts by what matters to them, how can he support them, but also how can he get out of the way and allow them to do their stuff. Mm. They've put tiny little bits of money into seeding brilliant community-led, community-owned activity that's supporting the whole community. Mm. So their singing group that went from a handful of people to 150 people. Mm. It saved lives, and he will say that, and, and people who use that group. Singing has given them a new lease of life. He's also reduced the prescribing budget by getting people singing. Think this is also where the link with social prescribing must never just be seen as the social prescriber's job or the link worker's job. Actually, healthcare practitioners need to think differently as well because mm. often the prescribing model of diagnosing somebody and giving them a tablet isn't actually going to work. Mm. It's going to increase spend, but it doesn't actually solve their underlying health condition. Well, I think we see that in primary care possibly more than anywhere else. So. Absolutely. When I came into this conversation, I don't know quite what I thought, but I certainly thought that there was quite a bit of work involved in developing these episodes. But actually what I'm what I'm leaving with is a more of a sense that this is a natural continuation of what we all strive to do as clinicians in, around shared decision making and, and this is just part of providing sensible personalised care for our patients and our communities. And actually a lot of this doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. There are groups and people out there who already have those connections. Mm-hmm. And it's just about being slightly more thoughtful in how we engage them going forward. I think thoughtful is the right word. Being open to not knowing, being curious about what's out there and what people are interested in. Mm. And there's also something about being a bit of a matchmaker. It's okay to put people in touch with one another if there's a shared interest. Mm. 
the link worker's job is hugely important, but actually part of their job is also a bit of a culture change around how we do general practice, how we do primary care, so that we, we move on from doing to people to working with and alongside people about what matters to them. Mm. And that's as important, as you said, from shared decision-making and individual interactions with patients to how we think about whole communities. Mm. Health inequalities almost seems to have become this thing that we've been talking about since Marmot published his report. We haven't made a dint in it. The one place in the country that has is Wigan. And Wigan has started to reduce the health inequalities gap. So the work that they've been doing around the Wigan deal is absolutely a fundamentally different way of working. So all of their staff across the council receive the same training and they put healthcare staff into that as well and staff from the police and the fire service. So everybody is thinking and working in a way which they're working with communities, not doing to them. Mm. If we're really working to empower people, what's the role of professionals within primary care networks to think about how they support those people and involve them in different ways Mm. around what's really going to work for them Mm. instead of us sitting in dark rooms trying to work out the best clinical intervention to reduce health inequalities for this because that ain't going to work because people people won't engage with it. But it does require that curiosity, as you say, and the bravery to step out of your consulting room and, and think of it differently. Bravery but, is the right word. Well, it's things we can't influence. It's, it's yeah. really hard to hold that, can't it, as a, as a clinician or, yeah. or anyone working in this area. Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an utter pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening as well. I hope you found the podcast useful and it offers you some ideas to take away and try in your own areas. You can find more information about the work that NHS England and Improvement are doing to support primary care networks by visiting our website. That's england.nhs.uk forward slash PCN or by emailing us at england.pcn at nhs.net. We'd love to hear your experiences around engaging your populations differently, but also any other aspects to your PCN journey that you'd like to share with us. Thank you all. Thank you very much, Will. And don't forget, have fun. (laughs)